Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Hey everybody, thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman. We are coming off of election week. I'm going to let a a moment of silence there for you because I don't know where you fall on that end of the spectrum, whether you're happy about the results of that election or you are not so happy. Uh, I'm not going to make any political stances because we talk about hunting and that's really the, the main thing that I care about. But the one thing I will say is doesn't matter who gets voted in, who gets elected, the outcome of all that. There is not a person that gets elected to office that is going to save you from the world's problems. There is one true savior out there, and uh, that's what I'm going to put my faith in and go through. But, man, it's been a crazy week. It's been a crazy couple weeks, and... First of all, it's been crazy because work picked up. So I, I go into a light switch mode of of work this time of year. It goes slow, 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 and then I get just enough crops harvested, and I'm out soil testing, and I pretty much go from the time it starts to get daylight until it's getting dark, and I'm pulling soil tests constantly for farms. And my goal is to uh, my, my goal is always to have as much done by the end of the calendar year. So that way, you know, at the start in January, I can start having my my client meetings and stuff and uh, and not be out freezing my tail off in the field. But there's this thing called rifle season that usually keeps me out of the field for a while because I find that most hunters really don't want me driving around in a side-by-side or a four-wheeler in fields when they're deer hunting during that time frame so that gets to be a little bit of a pain in the neck but now it's a busy time for work here and it's been kind of crazy like all right so I got to get a little bit real right now I've, I've had multiple instances of people just dealing with life struggles and you know friends of mine that come to me and and we're just talking about stuff and it's uh it's just one of those things that weighs on my mind you know there's people you love and care about and knowing that they're going through these these struggles and you know trying to talk through give them reason give them give them hope and things to look forward to and things to work through what it really does is makes me feel like a complete schmuck when I'm going through my day-to-day and I just want to be hunting. Oh, I just want to go hunting. I want to do this, do that. And I can't because I got to, you know, be a dad and stuff like that. Uh, I've probably talked about this till I'm blue in the face this past fall. It's just so relevant. And I'm sorry if I keep beating a dead horse, guys. But it's just, gosh, it's something so simple that is it's just engulfing my mind. Um, 
yeah, I don't know how to explain it other than that. But, hey, I've seen a lot of good deer hitting the ground recently. I've been getting pictures and text messages from friends, you know, people seeing deer. I've had some buddies that are seeing some good buck, maybe not connecting. Uh, of course, social media is always, you know, blowing up this time of year with this buck getting shot and that buck getting shot. And had some friends... Uh, had some friends seeing uh, some bear sightings, and you know, I, I have a buddy of mine who shot a bear with the bow. Um, not too, I think it would have been the end of the archery week. Been like the, so it would have been last week. And that's exciting, which is making me kind of lick my chops a little bit, thinking about what's right around the corner here. And that's what we're discussing this week. And that's bear season. I think I mentioned last week uh, I gave you kind of the rundown of what's going to be going on this week's show. This is one of those episodes that I was just flat out excited to to do and bring to you guys because it's a group of guys that I respect greatly that are very experienced hunters. And we, we talk about bear hunting mostly from the side of rifle bear season and we'll go through everything from trying to just find bear because that's the hardest thing in the first place but then we get into the details of about group hunting uh, making pushes trying to strategize utilizing the wind utilizing terrain and just trying to pick apart a piece of woods as effectively as possible with the uh you know trying to put put a bear in into a shooting position and it's just it's just an interesting conversation hearing everybody's perspective you know we we the the our, our guests are Mark Lesher who we had last fall who has killed i think like six bear in Pennsylvania and left i don't know how many go i i think if he would have shot at all the bear he passed he'd, he'd be like over 10 plus he's missed some over the years like he's he's just uh we make a joke that he's the bear magnet but in all reality i i think a good part of it is he's a good woodsman and he's a good bear hunter and that puts him in a good situation a lot of times and he's been part of a lot in their group that hunts and uh our second guest was one of his hunting partners um in their camp and that would be chopper schrader and chopper again is is a lot similar to mark you know they 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 have a lot of similar thinking they strategize together they uh really try to focus in on the food sources early and then collaborate together and have successful drives and you know they're hunting similar terrain and habitat compared to what I have or or what I'm used to in bear hunting. So it's really good to pick their brain, ask them questions and and think about how it relates to me. But then our our third guest and and another, you know, really, really great hunter, great woodsman is Robbie's dad. And we speak with Rob and Rob used to do the exact same thing at his camp, but we're talking about a different type of of habitat, forest structure, different terrain, uh, similar terrain, but but some some, some definitely noticeable differences. So we kind of take a big chunk of the state of Pennsylvania and you know a diversity of area, and then break down you know the the, the things that they've learned over the course of their hunting career 
chasing and organizing drives. And then we also talk about how to effectively do drives because I've learned this the past two years as I've started to take a little bit of leadership role in making pushes at my camp. And it's a, it's kind of a daunting task when you get a, a number of people that are relying on you to set up and organize, um, have an organized hunt with the group. And, uh, there's, there's a lot of preparation. Communication is huge. And, how to effectively communicate to everybody that everybody understands what you have in mind and how to manipulate the woods through an area, keeping in mind the wind, keeping in mind the terrain, not losing everybody, keeping everybody safe. It's uh, it's overwhelming. And, you know, it's kind of funny how I think the longer I've hunted, I feel like the more this style of hunting is looked down upon you know, I've heard it on podcasts, you know, guys talking about hunting big bucks and this, this and that. And then all oh, rifle season comes and the orange army comes and ruins it all and, and pushes through, you know, pushes through the woods and all oh, you, you get guys that push every chop off and like kind of, kind of shed a negative light aspect on it. And you know what? I've done it too. I'll be flat out honest with you. I have done that. And I, I've already like from the aspect of deer hunting, I've already felt like, the day archery season closed, deer season was over. I, I've felt that way. And I guess in a sense I still do, just because archery season is my favorite season to deer hunt. However, like we, we talk about camp and camaraderie and fellowship with, with hunters. This hunt coming up in a few weeks, our, our rifle bear hunt and then the, the deer season hunt where I have an overlap in the bear season. I'm to the point now where I look forward to that hunt as much as any other hunt of the year because I enjoy that fellowship stuff. And, you know, it's a great time for me to explore new area. If I screw up, I really don't care. But it's a great opportunity for me to learn things and walk in areas I might not push into the exact same way in archery hunting. It's going to give me a different angle perspective to learn it and maybe make some better opportunity for archery hunting in the future. It, it's a, it's as much of a scouting mission, but it, you know, it, it's so cool too, though, when you, when you're in charge of something like that, running a, a group hunt and hearing the guns crack like, Oh, thank goodness. Like I don't, I don't want to deal with the razzing if we don't see anything like it. It's just, it's different and it's something that I appreciate more and I just don't get as worked up about uh, this deer got shot and this area was polluted and rifle season's terrible. It's just something to, to I'm just trying to find a way to have fun with it and I've found that when I'm doing it with people I enjoy, I'm having fun with it. So it's kind of my, my little rant there but you know, this is, a, this is a fantastic bear hunting conversation, guys. It's it's one that fires me up. It gets me motivated to want to just scout woods and and cover every possible inch and just just learn every possible thing you can imagine when it comes to navigating terrain and funneling wind and understanding thermals and ah just fires me up. I I got a I still got a sight the rifle in, but uh, I'm 
in my mind, I'm pretty much 100% ready for bear season next weekend. So I'm hoping that this episode is something that if, if you're going to go bear hunting next week, you know, it's, you, you, you could still take something away to use next week. You still have time to go and scout some areas, find some more food, talk and, 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 and chat with some people in neighborhoods and say, Hey, have you seen any bear in these areas? And, and, Put pieces of the puzzle together to hopefully make it successful. Uh, the, the thing that I took away the most, and every time I talk to these guys, I learn something. And I, I think just effective communication in group hunts and drives and doing it safely is, is things like hearing their perspective, how they manage it and what I can utilize in, in my hunts, like that was huge for me. So wherever you fall on the spectrum, whether you've got a small group of guys, a large group of guys, you're hunting by yourself. There's something to take away from this bear hunting conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. Best of luck if you are still looking for your buck and best of luck for you guys going bear hunting. Before we go to this episode, real quick, shout out to Little Mountain Outfitters. Guys, they are still selling stuff. I was talking with Devon who uh who by the way i think is is now focused on nothing more than the shop because i think he's filled every tag but devon little mountain outfitters richland pennsylvania they still have bows for sale they still have a a full stocked shop uh equipment saddle hunting gear guys one, one of the things that I, I i think would be such a cool or, or an effective means during this this group bear hunt that we have if i was still a stander is to take a set of sticks or even a stick or or two with the saddle and just get above that thick cover you know we're talking about hunting in some laurel and rhododendron and chop offs and what an advantage it would be to just hop up you know anywhere from 5 to 15 20 feet and just get above that line line of sight with that vegetative cover and they've got that equipment there it's it's something that if you've never tried it not sure that it's something you want to tackle your your first time out but what i will say is Devon and Terry really knowledgeable saddle hunters they can really help you get set up and it's it is a comfortable way of hunting it's a good tool in the toolbox uh, they, they've got everything you need, guys, there. So if you're still looking to get some archery equipment, mobile hunting gear, anything under the sun, you just want to come and check out this awesome bow shop with Gary Camaraderie and great customer service, do it. Richland, Pennsylvania. So, and with that, guys, let's have at it. I finally got Robbie back. Yep. We've been busy, busy football. Yeah, that's all. It's How's been. football going? Uh, going pretty well. We're banged up right now, and uh, not a lot of kids, but they're having fun and they're doing well, getting better every week. So that's good. And we got the other coach here today, Mister Rob. You got Papa. You talk yep. about that all the time. Yeah, Dad, Dad's here. What's now going here. on, Rob? Not much. And we're back with Mister Lesher. Mister Lesher, do you ever think you'd be doing this again after I told I broke into it last year? No, I thought I was done. <laughs> Once it's done, I didn't have to twist your arm <laughs> no. too hard. Actually, it was now that I sit down and think about it, it was fun. Well, I mean, it was uh, like I said, it's just you kind of get used to like we're so we're sitting here at Mark's table and we've got wires and crap everywhere. We got my my Zoom H6, my recorder. We got all kinds of crap everywhere, and we're trying to trying to make this work. Robbie and I are sharing a mic, so it's probably going to be all kinds of audio stuff. But it's we're just BSing about hunting, which is well, we don't ever have a problem. We got uh, 
I had to ask Rob on the way over here. I said, you know, I said, I'm like 99% sure Chopper's first name is Chris, but it's been like 30 <laughs> years since I heard his first name. I couldn't, I, I couldn't remember. So yeah. we got old Chopper Schrader, Mr. Chris, what's going on? Oh, not much. Oh, I got family that don't know my real name. <laughs> no, I knew your real name, but I just had to make sure that I, uh, I said it right. But I mean, you won't, how did you get the name Chopper? Nah, we don't want to go there. <laughs> but uh, no, Chopper and uh, Chopper Mark, you guys are part of the same cab, and you've hunted together for a long time. And uh, we've, uh, you know, we talked about the the rifle hunt that we do um, up at our camp, where we got uh, deer bear overlap, and you know, uh, Mark and Rob and and Robbie and I have been able to hunt together. I, I think the only time I got to hunt with Chopper was the Paperboy story. Probably, yeah. Are you there for the Paperboy story? Roadside. Oh, I don't know. I wasn't. We were muzzleloader hunting. It was flintlock season. season. Flintlock late no, season. I wasn't muzzle. along. I wasn't up that year. I was twelve years old. Yeah. Now. Dwight was with. And you put him on roadside. We didn't go on the side. We oh. stayed on this side. <laughs> yeah, it was... right off the. We did the green side. Uh-huh. Green gate. Well, but red I, gate. Yeah. I don't even remember who gave me the name, but anyway, it gives something like they set me at this spot. I'm 12 years old. I'm pretty sure it was me, but probably, probably. Yeah, you were a driver, I think. You came yeah, up. I came up over the ridge, and there I was like, "What the heck is all that down now?" Oh, Paperboy's down there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I got the first name Paperboy. Guess I used a little too much toilet paper. I mean, you got to carry at least a roll with you. When it you was spotted <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> this is my calling card. Don't come over there. Oh my gosh! So anyway, we're uh, we're talking about group hunts and bear hunting because uh, I, one of the things that I'm always infatuated by is bear. Like I spend so much time with whitetails, archery hunting, and I mean that's all I think about. But I mean the second closest thing for me is bear. And I mean with the the group of guys that Robbie and I got sitting here, I mean we got a lot of years of bear hunting experience in different parts of the state with different habitat types and different different wood stuff. Um, uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, Rob, you kind of, we, we were talking about that last year. Like we, Mark and I and Chopper kind of hunt a lot of more heavier, hard terrain and, uh, you know, steeper slopes, uh, more oak hickory type forest. And you're kind of up on Allegheny Plateau. It's a, it's a whole different ball game with like the food sources and stuff. It is. We don't have any, uh, oaks up where we're at. We have beech nuts. Mm-hmm. It's the only mass crop. Uh, and it's all state forest, so everything's either been clear cut or select cut. Mm-hmm. It's just chop off after chop off. It's been like that since you were a kid. No, when I was a kid, it actually wasn't. Uh, it was a strip mining. A lot of strip mining went on up there mm-hmm. for coal. And um, when the state, of course, they have it for timber rights. Right. Uh, they start timbering, and it seemed like in the beginning when I was younger. There was a big chop off and then standing timber and then another chop off standing timber, which as a driving aspect for deer hunting or bear hunting, you could uh, go in there and you could work off the tree line mm-hmm. and keep like do a circle or whatever. Yeah, you had a guidance when you were making a drive right. with a group of guys. But in the last 30 some years, everything's been cut. Mm-hmm. Now it's either select cut or clear cut like i said and yeah. they'll do some big clear cuts chopper mark do you guys get into any chop offs at all when like in the bear hunting you do not so much no we did a first couple yeah, first they're, year but they're gro- they're pretty grown they're, up yeah they're grown up there yeah. are some fenced in areas that mm-hmm. we went through a little bit but I, 
We could try. We actually make... never really. If they were chopped off, we avoided them back in the day. Okay. Yeah. Just because it was different to what yeah. you'd done. Yeah. There was no laurel, no cover, yeah. no nothing. See, we have just... so much laurel. Right. Which and know, rhododendron probably too. Yeah, I guess. R- r- rhododendron. Whereas I don't think you guys have as much laurel. So over where we're talking now, we don't really get into laurel. Like there's some of the some of the north facing slopes, like over at my camp, um, we do now where I bear hunt over and I, I bear hunt in, in Clinton County uh, currently. But uh, we get into some thick laurel rhododendron where we're at. What's what's different for us is like there's so many roads that um, are, are you know, at the bottom of the mountain in Pennsylvania. And, you, know, you can do a drive, and when you're done, you you bring a bear out the bottom and it's a little bit easier like where we're at we actually have to go down in and it's a it's a steep creek bottom and there's no roads in and out so everything we got to go up and out so i actually think that helps from a pressure standpoint because yeah. not everybody's going down in but we still see guys i mean i know you guys talk about yeah uh, dealing with that but i mean last year mark when we were talking about this and we, we talk about this all the time like food is food is king all the time with anything we hunt king um, of the castle king of the castle um you guys, uh, you guys get out to uh, to do any scouting or know what the, the acorn crops like at your places here? It's uh, not so good, but really? I, I I had a email into a DCNR guy, mm-hmm. and I said, "How did the gypsy moth affect?" And he goes, "70 to 80 percent of sprawl state forest was defoliated, so the acorns are going to be very slim." Mm-hmm. But he did say there are pockets of acorns if you can find them. Right. And they did do quite a bit of spraying. And he sent me a map mm. of what got sprayed. And actually, there was a lot of spots that got sprayed close to our camp. So we're kind of hopeful that that they're going to produce a little bit somewhere here and there. And uh, Mark's brother, Doug, was up this weekend and did find some white oak and black oak, I believe. But not a lot. They get scarfed up so quick. They do. And it... <clears throat> I mean, if it's if it's limited in the first place, yeah, it, it's it's tough. Um, you, you even talk about that last year, Mark. I remember we were talking about food and stuff, and just trying to expand your range. And Robbie and I did an episode with uh, we did an episode with the bear biologist, yeah. and uh, she was talking about the home range of bear. And do you remember, Robbie? What I think the, the a, a male was like twenty. I was gonna twenty two to twenty three. Yeah, square miles, and a sow was like eight to ten. Yeah, uh, for some reason, twenty five. Wow. Yeah, and he said it kind of. I think if I'm remembering this correctly, I have to listen back. But she said if it was with cubs, it was less. Oh yeah, yeah okay. And if yeah. it was without cubs, so. right? Yeah. If, and food, and it, she talked about yeah. denning a lot with that too. Well, but. you can ask my he, my dad knows the more in depth story of it. But when I was little, they there was a nuisance bear that they that game commission got down mm-hmm. in Williamsport, correct, and brought it up half a mile away from our camp and let it go um but they said the one time they got a bear from down that way somewhere go ahead so the story the <clears throat> the story they told us was they had a bear that was down toward williamsport troubled mm-hmm. uh nuisance bear and they caught it trapped it took mm-hmm. it up towards wellsboro left it go within a week it was back down they caught it again and well and Williamsport. Williamsport. Yeah, that's a that's a haul. Then they took it out closer to Gaines mm-hmm. and had it tug and stuff. They put the tags in the air. Well, here it was heading back to Williamsport and got hit. Hmm. So they will go back. Yeah. When you talked about the bear biologist back in 
I'm showing my age now. Gary Alt was their bear guy. Yeah. So I would talk to Gary Alt, and then he said the same thing. They just roam. Mm -hmm. They would just travel. And he knew about <clears throat> our area up there in Tioga. If we didn't have a good beach crop, them bears, the males especially, they're going to leave, and they're going to end up down in Lycoming, Sullivan. They're just going to go. They're going to go where the food's at. Food's the biggest thing for anything, really. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but them bears just go. They are just travelers. Well, like last year, we were talking about that. In, I get so, uh, I don't know, just mindset with the deer, and I keep thinking like uh, a, a whitetail's home range is what, you know, a, a mile to three, four square miles with that. And I, I keep shrinking it down, and I'm so used to doing general areas where we had good good luck doing the same drives repetitively, and they, and they do produce year after year. But, like, you know, I was talking when we talked about that last year, how you, you guys kind of expand out a lot further than just close to camp in the old traditional places. Like, you're not afraid to drive in the, in the vehicle pretty far to go find food. And last year kind of was a tough year for you guys, wasn't it? Yes, last year was really bad. But we drove, again, we drove to a different location, at least a half an hour away from our camp just to hunt. Well, because we don't have food there. So, and we actually went to a spot that we know is close to private property, close to farmland, close mm -hmm. to other sources of food for the bear so we could hunt them there. Well, and I think, too, I remember, I, I think I talked to you midweek during rifle season, maybe when you were coming home or something, and I said about, I said about how'd you guys do, and you're like, oh, man, it was rough. We, we struggled. But you said about this one specific area, you kept saying, I think we ought to go up there, and you didn't. And then when you looked at the map, they must have shot a bunch of bear up there or something like that. Yeah, we'll wait till Chopper comes back. He's good at that spot. But uh, we went there that location a couple of years ago, and same thing. They hammered him up there, and... So I think all the bear just moved to that location where the food was at, and they hung out there. Well, and I've, I've noticed this, too. Like, I like to go – every year I always like to look at the map. You go on the state's website, and you get the – by county, and then you can even break it down by township during the year. And it's so funny. Like, there were certain counties where, like, it's just the same color, so they're shooting an average number of bear in those counties. But then you get into, like, one township, and it's just, like, dark red. It's like that township for whatever produced food. Yeah, and they congregated there. Yeah. A lot of males. Yeah, and I, I mean, the biggest thing, obviously, and it's so hard to do, but you got to do it, is put boot leather down to find food. But That's what we do now. Yeah. So, like... Even up with the youth last year when we were with you, mm -hmm. we didn't have hard... You hadn't beach nut. That was all we found up there, and we didn't find it till late in the year. Right, right, exactly. And like I said, that was one of those food sources that I don't hunt a lot of beach... Beach crop I never hunt places. beach nuts. That's yeah, the only one I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. And, and Rob is the opposite. I mean, that's what yeah. you kind of lived in. I mean, that's what, all we had. When you guys were kids going up, and I say kids, our age, when you yeah. were uh, when you were our age, you guys used to go up. And, like, the, the hunting setup is different now with the seasons just because, like, shooting a whitetail in October has, like, taken over hunting right now in some cases. But you guys used to go up for small game. and We did. Well, back when I started and was into it and got into it, archery season ended – the end of October. Yeah. So the end of the last Saturday, October, was small game. Grouse, pheasant, everything would open. Then archery would end. And then we would head up to camp right then and hunt turkey, grouse. And at the same time we're hunting them, we were scouting for bear. And so we did too, same thing. Yeah, yep. exactly. And just scout for bear. And then getting back to the chop-off thing, like, like Mark said, nobody wanted to go in them. So when we start finding these chop-offs, in the beginning where it was chop-off hardwoods, all the pot hunters, nobody wanted to go in them chop-offs. Mm -hmm. One time, 
we did a drive through the hardwoods into a chop-off. And when we got in the chop-off, we all got, the drive got broken up. It's like, what are we doing? You know, mm -hmm. it's thick. But when we got in there, it was nothing but bear sign. So we regrouped that lunchtime and said, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. We're going to put everybody around that chop off and us four best walkers are going to go in there and just walk. And we kicked out three bear. Okay. And we thought right from there, all we're hunting is chop offs. Because <laughs> yeah. that's where they're going to go. Because you learned something, picked yeah. something up. And it was like kind of by mistake. Yeah. You know? Luck. But yeah. from there on, that's all we did. We looked for chop offs, chop offs. And then, like I said in the beginning, it was nice to find them because nobody else was going in them. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we and You were, can't we, shoot in there. Yeah, it's thick, right? It's thick, yeah. But getting back to it, then when we start going in there, a lot of our drivers were shooting the bears. Okay. Because <clears throat> just walking personally, I home. thought you get in there, and we didn't ever had 25 guys like we do now. Yeah. We had 12, 14 if we had a lot, you yeah. know? And then you got the older guys that can't get around, so you put them where you can get them into. Mm -hmm. And us, me being the youngest at that time, I did every drive. So you're in them chop-offs just going, and it's just full of briars, and it's thick, and it's just over your head. It's just, you're just busting through. What it seemed like to me was <clears throat> the bears that lived in there were the hard ones to get out because that was their home. Mm -hmm. Like last year with the bear we shot yeah, yeah. at your place, that bear didn't want to leave because mm -hmm. that bear, that's his home. Other times we get in there and we kick a bear out, and that bear just, as soon as we start the drive, and the bear would go. It's like that bear, that wasn't his home. For some reason, he was out and about that night, mm -hmm. like to travel at night, and they're moving around, getting food, and maybe before he got back to his home range or where he lived, yeah. he got held up in his chop-off and wanted to go. And getting back to backtracking, in our area, summer and late, or late summer, we would see more cubs okay. with moms and sows and some cubs but when the season would come we never shot cubs because they weren't there either they were gone because she needed more food for her cubs or they were starting to hold up and getting back to gary alt he always told me the reason pennsylvania bear season was so late is because they didn't want the sows shot mm -hmm. they thought the sows would be holding up because he always told me them bears will go in to deep sleep because they're running out of food. Yeah. And they're not taking as much food in as they're burning up. So females, that's... Females, though, not the males. Right, and, the ma and the females are the ones that are going early are pregnant. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to hold up. So that's why our season in Pennsylvania always seemed to be late. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why they had it that way, so the sows weren't shot. But yeah, correct me if like, this is past me. Maybe you guys remember. Like, didn't they used to have bear season, like when it first opened back up in the bear population? Wasn't it like a... A one or one or two day season, like after deer season, or like something really freaking yep. late. Yeah, that it, was in the eighties. Yeah, it was closed in seventy seven and seventy eight. Okay, two years in a row. Seventy nine, it was one day, day season after doe season. Yeah, so, so it was late. So that was like basically December, three yeah. years, no sows got shot, mm -hmm. and then of course, then that's when the population boomed. Yeah, and we had that discussion with Emily in the summertime, the biologist, and she was saying, like, you know, there's there's a lot of you know old timers and naysayers talking about this early season. You know, we got basically we have three weeks of bear season now, October into November. It's three weeks of archery and one week of muzzleloader, which I mean is a is a really effective weapon now. I mean, the, the type of hunting and thickness that we're talking about, 
I mean, there's very few times where we're hunting that when you shoot something with a rifle, you couldn't do it with an inline. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's an effective weapon. And uh, there's a lot of people saying, well, we're killing a lot of sows. We're killing a lot of pregnant sows and stuff like that. But the, the thing that she stressed is, like, that may be true, but we have such a cool opportunity in our state because our bear population has boomed so much that we can test the waters and see what kind of response the population is going to have with these seasons. This is just creating a lot of opportunity. That's what I think they're worried about but, now, the pregnant moms, all of them getting shot. But I think that's what they want. Yeah, to, they want to, to, to lower it a little bit. From, yeah, from what I gather, too, it, it definitely seems like that. We were talking, when you stepped out, Chopper, we were talking about food sources being isolated. And, uh, like, you were, uh, Rob was talking about kind of chop off seeing them in, like, like uh, good places. And we, we kind of live and die. Mark and Chopper and I, some of the places we hunt, we kind of live and die by where there's a good acorn crop. Yep. And, uh I know last year you guys said there was one specific location you guys talked about going to, and then I don't think you went there. And then, like, the the, the township maps on the state, like, it was that one township that just, like, yep. blew up. I mean, that happens, I think, a lot. Like, it's just they isolate. Yeah, if you can find the, the isolation, it can be even better than when there's food everywhere. We run into those years. Mm-hmm. So do you guys, like, everybody here, we, we've done a lot of group hunts and, and making pushes and stuff. Did you guys... You shot a couple bear more on your own, but I mean, you guys do much bear hunting outside and like in bear season that you're on your own, just kind of doing your own thing. Not not often, but um, I'd say maybe in the archery bear and yeah. stuff, you know, we'll sit more, especially now with the overlap, you can hunt, shoot a you know shoot deer, yeah. DRR. So you know that's more on your own. Plus, we spread out a lot more, too. We cover more ground because certain guys go to one area. We send other guys to another area. Not only just to do scouting, too, to check stuff out. So, and I, I want to revisit that a little bit, too, because you guys were talking about – we talked about this last year, Mark. We were talking about spreading out, and, you know, you were touching, like, going up and grass hunting and turkey hunting and stuff like that, and you really talk about spreading out. I mean, tell me – give me a little bit, like, as a camp when you guys are hunting together – uh, Mark and Chopper, like, how does that dynamic go for you guys out the fall until you guys decide where you're going to be going opening day of bear season? Because it's probably, I mean, you got a lot of lot of experience in your camp, so you're back and forth. But um, you guys work together a lot in deciding that because I'm so used to we've got uh, the historical spot that works for us, and that's just where we go. And some years we do really well, and sometimes we don't. I mean, sometimes we drive 20 minutes away. Like I said earlier, we'll drive 20, 30 minutes away to hunt the other side of the river even from our camp. Yeah. One year we drove location. To, one year we drove to Cameron County because they yeah. had acorns there. Yeah. Okay. Um, but um, but tr- traditionally good spots with cover yeah. are good spots too. You like in the summertime and early, like even right now, like we're as we're talking here, this is the beginning of October, and I'm still thinking deer on my mind. I'm starting to think bear, but you guys, when you guys go up to camp, like you just Sunday take a drive sometimes and just go looking for acorns, kind of deal. Yep, yeah, sometimes just driving around looking for them on the road. That's easy way to find them, yeah, see if they're crushed by the cars on the dirt roads, yeah. Beach nuts, we also go to our favorite locations and check that spot out too to decide if we're gonna at least adventure over to that area early in the year to see if something's going on over there. If nothing's there, we're going to move to another location. Right. I mean, it might be seven, ten miles away from there. Yeah. So. You were talking about chop-offs. 
and you're talking about beech nuts. So were you seeing when you, the first year when you started going in them chop-offs, Rob, were you seeing a ton of food in the chop-offs or was it kind of like that was the cover and it was the food adjacent? That was the cover. <clears throat> the beech nuts were out in the, the big timber. Mm-hmm. That's where the mass crop was. But then they'd go out and eat and they'd go back in the chop-offs for mm-hmm. cover. And they'd See, now it's different than us. They, yeah. They're in the laurel or the red oaks or whatever and they're, yeah. they're just right. laying there and they're not, yeah, they're yeah, not moving all mixed all. together. Sometimes they can yeah. lay in the thick laurel and there's yeah. there's crap all over the place in there. Yeah, they don't move hardly at yeah. all. Yeah. They, Especially yeah. in the big laurel flats and that. They Eat, sleep, to, and shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I think like the... Th- that type of hunting, that what I'm used to, it's so hard. Like, you know, I'd really like to shoot one with a bow, but all I know at this moment in time is the type of hunting we're talking about. And it's really hard to pattern something to get on something. You got to find the food right now because they're, in the next week or so, they're going to be pushing the, every little food they can find. They're going to, once they find a big source of food, they're going to stay there. Yeah. Once they clean that up, they're going to yeah, move to the think, next spot. I don't think bear typically, once they find that food, they ain't going to go far. Yeah. Right. I've seen bear watching them. They'll come and eat. They'll go here, 80 yards away, lay down. Come back, start eating again. Sometimes they fall asleep right there where they're eating or just take a, a nap. Yeah. Like when we started this archery bear season, same thing. We would see them come out of the heavy laurel into the opening right before dark or whatever and see all these bears. Like, huh, next time we go out, same thing. They come out, same spot, feed them out, go back in. Yeah, and, and that's what works in our chop-offs. Our chop-offs right. were their laurel. And in all reality, you could probably use, like, if somebody was hunting by themselves, they could probably, if they did their homework up mm-hmm. front, they could do that opening day of rifle season, probably see the same thing because yeah. we don't have that push of hunters yet. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's probably, you were talking uh, earlier about, um, you know, a bear that's, he's not in his home range and you push him out and he goes running out like crazy. Right. Um, that's probably, and the ones that stay, I think, are the ones that have, have number one, a lot of time, I think they're older. They've been through the rigmarole once yeah. or twice and know when people mess around to hold back. Um, uh, it seems like so many times the younger ones are the ones that we push out really, really quick. Yeah, because they're inexperienced. They're scared. Juveniles. Mm-hmm. They get out of there. Plus, I always thought uh, one time we did do a drive, which was one of our best drives. We called it the cemetery chop off because it's so good to us. We got like nine bear out of there. But the one year... Right when the drive started, a mom and two cubs went out. And my theory was, it's just a theory, I think because she had her young with, and she wanted to get out. Because like I said, a lot of our drivers shot bear because them bear just stay in there. They just keep doing circles. That's what mom does. She's just going to hold tight and try yeah. to sneak around and use her, yeah. her nose. And, and get I always, we realized that once one year we got snow. Yep, same with us. And, then, same with us. and you go through an area, they go through Laura, we go through chop-offs, it's like, all the bear tracks are going right around yep. you. That's how uh, we found out the same yep. thing. Yep, and it's like they don't want to leave. And the night before Darren shot his last year at your place, mm-hmm. I told him sometimes they're going to sit like a rabbit. And they, you know, you saw that drive last year. All them drivers were getting to the end, and mm-hmm. that bear decided, all right, I got to get out of here. And she almost did get out. She almost yeah. did get out. Yeah. And, and, and we're, we're flirting around this, this story. I mean, real quick, we did a drive last year, um, Robbie, myself, and Rob and Mark were there, and we did a drive um, for deer, and we got to the last section to chop off, and we were pretty sure that there might have been a bear in this section from earlier in the week, some of the scouting that we did and seeing bear tracks because there was snow earlier that week, and then it melted by the time we were there. But we did this drive, and, I mean, the drivers were, am I exaggerating if I say we were 20 yards apart oh, at yeah. some times, 20, yeah. 30 yards apart? And I think the, the end driver went 
past Darren, the, the standard that killed the bear, maybe 40, 50 yards from him, went past him. Yeah. And uh, it, was a, it was a large sound. She snuck out the back and ended up going right into his lap, and, and he got it. Yeah. Right. Um, the year before, we had that bear in there, too. Yeah. A mom with three cubs she had with her. Yeah, but same thing. Snuck out the back when we went to the child. And that was one thing that was foreign to me. And I've heard, like, I remember going to, to places and talking with all you guys here, talking about bears sneaking out the back. And I just, I never experienced that. And you guys really, like, talked about that, about how uh, – how difficult it can be, even with a large group of guys. I mean, I mean, Chopper and Mark, you guys were talking about the the snow is what, what, like a big learning factor because you guys used to have a big group of guys and just make big large drives, right? Yep. And the old timers said, "Oh, once you start hollering the bear, run. Yeah. They're out," which is the case sometimes. We shot two bear the other year in the snow. Mark dogged a bear. She stood up in front of him a couple times, just out in front of him. Finally went to a stander, got yeah. shot. I dogged a bear two days later in the snow. It went right away. Probably went half a mile, three quarters of a mile. Got shot within like five minutes after I jumped it. Mm. I followed the tracks all the way to the dead bear. It took me an it took me an hour to walk that much farther yet. And it was five minutes, you said. Yeah, the bear. It never really ran, but it was loping the whole way. He, mm. he wanted out, so he was gone. He was going somewhere where he was going to get safe. Mm. So that, that you know how different they can be. And that was a male. That was a, a, a bigger male. A bigger male. A couple 200 years old. 200 pounds. Yeah, he was a 200-pound yeah, male. he wanted out. He just wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah, bears are funny because I, I don't think they can see and hear real well. They're Everything's terrible. Knows. Terrible. They don't see. Yeah, so we, is. I don't know, I can't speak for these guys, but we would start a drive and think, oh, the wind's perfect for us. And you get halfway through a drive and it changes like everything does. The wind changes. Because the first bear I shot... We were coming down, and uh, it drops off towards a river. And our standards were down by three benches towards the river, and we do this little plateau. And the year we had snow, we realized all the bears get to that top ridge, and they just circle right back. Well, then we realized what happened is the thermals are bringing the scent up of mm-hmm. our standards. So they get there, they can smell the standards, and they go back. Yeah. So the next year when I got mine, mine was actually sitting like a dog, looking down with his nose up in the air, sniffing the standards. And I just happened to walk up behind it and shot it. But it was sitting like a dog. Just making a decision end. what to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. It didn't know. It's like it probably heard the drivers coming. <clears throat> so getting back to the drive, we always did our drive silent. Um, our theory was we would just want the game – getting up on their feet and moving. We don't mm-hmm. want to push them out like a banshee and they're flying by, either though they will sometimes. We just kept it every now and then. You did a whistle or whatever noise to keep in line with the drive. We just thought it seemed like uh, it benefited for our drivers rather than just hooting and hollering and hitting pots and pans like the old-timers would say, mm-hmm. make noise and get them going. Mm-hmm. We just want them up on their feet moving because, like I said, back – when we started, we didn't have 25 guys. We had like 12, 14 guys, so we were really limited. Hopefully, we were putting guys in the right spot. And then you have your honey holes, which we had the cemetery chop, where all the bears would go down to that second bench. They wouldn't go all the way down to the river. They'd break mm. on that bench, right or left. They didn't want – they just – that's their exit. So we knew the old-timers that wanted to shoot a bear that didn't get a bear, we put them on that bench, and they would – 
end up usually seeing one shooting one or first bench off the top is usually yeah they just like to run them benches and we always i think i shot all mine on that first bench down yeah Yeah. most of ours are shot like that yeah Yeah. that's where it seems like when you're on top of the mountain or at least for us where it's the plateau when you're up on top the wind's always kind of blowing they don't like to be in them chops as much they want to be on the side hills where the chop off starts at top comes down and there's benches and there's water and food nearby. Kind of getting out of the wind, too. Yeah, because that's what they live and die by. And yeah. We actually shot more bear by just using 12, 14 guys, but mm-hmm. even six sometimes. Oh, sometimes yeah. We, we yeah. shoot more by sometimes that. Than, one person. Yeah. One person drives. We've shot bear now. Yeah. Well, that's how One or two guys driving. We yeah. do it all the time. Now. I've talked to Mitchell about that. Some of the drives that he wants to do, we should go in with less drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And just kind of put more standards. Yeah. And the better drivers, the more woodsman guys and the guys that can walk, just get in there and just mill around and keep moving and work together and just we keep probably pushing. Probably shot a lot of bear in the last couple of years just by that. Yep. Yeah. One of me driving or chopper driving yeah. or. And getting back to the laurel and the chop offs that we hunt, um, we shot a bear out of there already, and the next day we go back and shoot another bear. Yeah. Yeah, if the food's there, they're if the food's be, there, yeah. they'll be right That's back. That's it. And I was going to say, the problem is the we food yell. is the most important. We only knew because we had to yell to guys didn't know the area. Yeah, they were afraid of getting lost, so yeah. we all yelled and just because we were in heavy law. You're in chop loss. We oh, couldn't yeah. see anybody. Yeah, you can't see the next guy yeah. side of you. Yeah. So they yeah. yelled just to. That's what we were talking. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, we'd end up on the other side of where we started, yeah. guys, lots yeah. of times. Oh yeah, we did too. Our drives got crooked. Our drives got messed up. Well, sometimes we shoot them when they screwed up. Yeah, we get out to them. That where am I at? Hey guys, I'm gonna have to get out. I gotta get a kid to a hockey game. All right. Gotcha. Well, thanks for so, thanks for coming in. I enjoyed shopping. I enjoyed this. I'd do it again. Just next time we'll just suit it up a little bit better. Trouble. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you, chopper. Yeah, see you, chopper. Nice. So staying on with the side, like we were talking about uh, drives, and you guys were kind of skirting around this this topic, you know, big drives versus small. So g- give me an idea, like how do you? How do you like what's going into your mind? Some of the areas you approach because you, you've talked about chop offs, pockets, some of the places that you know Mark and Chopper were hunting are, are large side hills, and you're doing some side hill jobs. You kind of do a lot of tops, and there, there's some ridges, but like how big of areas are, are, are do you is, is is there no like rhyme or reason? Sometimes it's just the way it fits for the drive to do it, or do you guys kind of like bigger, better, smaller, better? Like, like just Give me your philosophy on that because it's it's tough because a lot of people think you got a lot of guys in a big area for bear. It is. I just my theory. We got to big chop offs. We would break them chop offs in half. Usually the old chop offs were done by hand. Uh, skitter would go in there, pull the logs out. So there's a lot of skitter roads. Usually a main road going down to a cul-de-sac where they would uh, stage the logs. Mm-hmm. And usually that logging road would somehow split that chop off. They would do the left side and the right side and bring everything to the middle. Nowadays, they have them big harvesters go in. There's less logging roads. They mm-hmm. let them big harvesters take the work out of 10 guys. Right. They can do all that cutting with less manpower. So you don't have the logging roads anymore. So now the chop offs you get to are huge. So we'd even get in there and... Uh, if we we never like I said we never have enough guys and you never seem to have enough guys when you get to them big ones. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you think, boy, I could use fifty guys here. 
I, I guess the scouting part of it is you want to find them ridges to put your standers, and if you can get guys in tree stands, it helps. Oh, that is big. And then uh, I think you just get in there and just keep milling around and doing it in sections. Now, the smaller ones are nicer if you have the right amount of guys and you can do the whole push and you push the whole thing. Right. Um, but like Chopper alluded to earlier, sometimes they're going to fly out and sometimes they're just going to sneak around. It, uh, there's no rhyme or reason. I always think the biggest thing in bear hunting is luck. <laughs> but you make your luck by anything you hunt. The more time you put in, and hopefully I did setting up drives like you're doing. The best thing when you set up a drive and you have 20, 25 guys and you hear that shot ring out, you think, it worked. Yeah. yeah. And the pressure's off you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, with, the right amount of, with the right guys, it don't matter if it's 12, 6, 12, or 24 guys, the camaraderie, all the guys got to think the same. Mm. You know what I mean? Mitchell's going to set up the drive. He's going to put the standards where he thinks they got to go, and the drivers are going to do what they think they got to do. And when the plan comes together, nothing's better. And I think when you do your drives up with you, Mitchell, now, you're going to find out, okay, we can drive this this way. Mm -hmm. It'll be easier. I can do it with less guys and more standards. You know what I mean? You'll find that out like trial and error. Yeah. And that's what we did. You know what I mean? Um and that's what we did, too, the same thing. Yeah. Trial and error. Yeah. You might screw up two or three times to realize which way to do it. Plus yeah. the wind. You never know. You have to play the wind. Yeah, and the winds, like I said earlier, it changes. You think you get there, you set up, oh, the wind's perfect. You get halfway through the drive, it changes. Like, yeah, this ain't working. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, but you keep going because, you know, biggest thing, you, you, you scouted it out. You found there's food there. There's bear sign there. So they're going to be there sooner or later. So you just you got to hunt it, you know? You both of guys have talked about wind a ton, and wind is huge. They live and die by their nose. And, I mean, I know this from hunting in big woods for whitetails and trying to sit on stand and trying to figure out what the predominant wind is, and I think the thermal is more important than a lot of that stuff. So, like, either one of you guys answer this. Like, when you go to do some of these drives, you know, regardless of the area and the size like we just talked about, what are you looking at? How are you guys reading that when it comes to wind and setting drivers and stand-up? Is it, is it as much about um, where you think prevailing wind is? Do you guys Are you paying attention to what you think the thermal might do on them side? I was like, do you get into that crazy, or does it come to a point where it's like we can only do so much and we gotta, we got to set it up the best way we think? Yeah, that's what we do right yeah. now. I mean, if we're a small group, we try to play the wind, but when you have a big group, you just have to – Look at your best option and which way you need to drive it to cover the most ground. So sometimes we don't play the wind. We just put guys behind, or like I told you before, we leave guys behind in case they do break back on us. That we have guys trailing behind or standards behind just to. And, and that's kind of based on the wind, right? Yeah. yeah, and that was one of the things I was going to bring up. We always have when you have twenty-five guys, you got ten pickup trucks, right? And you get all the standers or the drivers. Standers go in, the drivers go down the other end. Take a couple trucks down, you pile in like we all do. But usually sometimes those drivers or those trucks are the guys we leave behind. That way, when we drive back to the standers, because you got time, mm -hmm. when the drive's done, they get the trucks and come back to us. That's what we <laughs> and, do the same thing. And then you go to the next drive. Yep. You know what I mean? Because... You know, you want to try to get four or five drives done a day. Depends on how big are. You know what I mean? Like I said last year, I shot that buck, and I didn't want to hold anybody up. 
my theory was I let everybody keep going to the next drive. Mm-hmm. I'll catch up to you. I'll take care of the deer. Right. You know what I mean? Because I know when you start getting game down, it's never at the right spot to get it out easy. <laughs> other than Darren's bear this year. Yeah. But anyhow, sometimes that happens where it ain't too far of a drag. Sometimes they're down in the thickest stuff. It's going to take you a while to get it out. So, um, well, like last year we did, you know, two years ago, even the one my son was with, you know, he, what, what? two oh, hours? With, with Uncle Dennis and Cody's. Two hours he walked up. He walked two hours up the mountain to get two <laughs> stands. <laughs> okay. Just to get to the stand yeah. before we made the drive. So he was, he left at 6.30 in the morning, was heading up the mountain, and we didn't start to drive till 10 o'clock in the, in the morning. Until, get to me until 1. Yeah, just because we know the walk that he has to go and get into there. So. Yeah. Well, I think like you were, this is the thing I've learned too. So many of the times when, when I grew up and was following doing bear drives, it was always uh, in our mindset. We had to go, go, go. We had to finish this drive, push it out, go do the next one. And the, one of the things that I've learned from you guys a lot, talking with you and conversing, hunting together and just, you know, your other hunting experiences is like slowing down and reading it because um, talking about bear slipping out the back, slipping in between you, stuff like that. That's all wind-based. And like, Mark, do for you guys, do you have drivers shoot many bear when you? Because Rob, you said drivers shoot pretty many bear, yeah. but like, do you have that happen as much with you guys? Uh, yeah, it's usually if a guy's gonna shoot when it's a guy hanging behind or a guy the flanker on the bottom or whatever, being the quiet guy just trying to that bear because he's not yelling, he's just listening to all the other guys on the drive and he's just flanking along on the bottom or the top, and that bear's trying to sneak out, go out the back, and these guys shoot him. So, like, if you were one of those guys, like, if you're, whether it's, a, let's, let's just give it a, a standard side hill drive. Maybe there's there's hollows you're bringing it towards and stuff. Obviously, the person who's doing. We try doing, to push it to a point. So, we okay. push to the point of the mountain and use the wind. So, the bear like to go to that point and decide either they're going to go down that point or wrap around the mountain. So, like, in your shoes, like, if you're a driver, but you're, you're reading the wind and it's whatever the wind is doing. But if you thought. What's a situation that you would say, this is a time where I think I need to stand and hold back? Like, do you go through a, a big, thick, nasty patch and you get to this one small pocket opening that you think maybe something will slip to the edge? Like, like and we I did guess that. The, we did that when Cody shot his big one the other year. Okay. We got to, we drove a pocket where we knew somebody had to be behind because it was so thick in there you can't see 20 feet. Yeah. So we left actually two guys. One guy behind him, we went another 100 yards. The drive was probably only, the thick stuff was only three, 400 yards long. Okay. But once we got to that thick stuff, it was all real slow, methodical, thinking about it, take your time, let them, uh, just let them work out ahead of us because they were at the end, the standards at the end, and the wind was good for them, so we knew they were good. They were there for hours before we even got there, but we had bear sign, we had the uh, – People in line below us flanking out the bottom. I was on top flanker. So the only way he was going to get out was either go to the prior property or break back. That's the only way he was going to get out of there. And we knew he was in there, and he he went out, but he got shot and tried to go right back in. Okay, so it was like – and kind of what it sounds like to me in some of those drives is – you know, you've got your drivers, and a lot of time, when, when you know, if you're thinking about drives, a lot of time you think, well, line of guys here, a line of guys here, and you push this line, and that's the way it is. And you know what you're describing with flankers on the bottom and the top, like they're they're trying to pocket things in, and you're you're getting to um, a section of the drive that is thicker, is more prone, and you're just kind of like strategically, like okay, maybe you've got, let's just say you got six drivers, but you're going to get to this one pocket, and it might turn into three or four drivers yep, kind of deal. It's just breaking yep. it down. Yep. 
And so once it narrowed down and narrowed down, then the guy in the middle, when he got to a good spot, mm-hmm. and I think it was actually Chopper, was that guy who, which knows the mountain, he's yeah. a good hunter, he's, he knows what he's doing, he found a good spot, so we left him behind. That's a big thing. That's so hard to do because you got to, like, going to a place you never did before, that's really hard. And, I mean, it takes years of experience sometimes. And that. that's what you need. You need guys that have experience. Right. And then also, like Mark said, when you got guys that know that mountain, those are your best drivers. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Now, when you get 25 guys like you did last year, a lot of guys don't know the mountain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that – like you said, going through, you don't have to go fast. I think some guys walk too fast when yeah. they're driving. Slow it down. Just stay together. Keep it tight as you can. I know some guys are going to have an easier walk than other guys. That guy seems to get ahead. That guy's got to realize I got to slow down and let the drive catch up to me and get through the thicker stuff. Some guys get to some thick stuff that are held up. Like you got to back yeah. up and go around it. And like stand? knowing the mountain, that's what we know. Like yeah. we put a guy in that area that's going to get to that spot and that knows how to walk, knows how to get through that, takes his time. Yeah. Usually the guy that walks best has the worst spot. So oh, being yeah. a good hunter, it's not always the best being a good yeah. hunter. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and back when I started, Mark, he's my age, where we got up to the mountains and you learned it by walking it. Mm. We didn't have the apps nowadays yeah, you do. Like used to. Right? Yeah. We actually, his dad and his uncles and whatever, took him up like me and cousins, and they throw you in the mix. Then when you get back to camp, we always had a topo map hanging. Yeah. Right? And you look at the topo map and see, okay, this is the ridge I was on. Yep. This is the creek I crossed. You know what I mean? This is the point we want to push to. Right. This is how the wind went down. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Then you start looking at the topo maps. Now it's online. You can see how everything lies. Mm-hmm. You know, the thermals are coming up the valley. Okay, so we got to put guys here. That's how you got that. Nowadays, it's kind of easier when you go online and look at that stuff. Back in our time, I should say, yeah. you learned the hard way yeah. by just getting out there on your feet and looking for sign. I, 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 radio's got big now. You know, oh, range. We never had radios in the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, touch on that because we're, we're spoiled now with radios yeah. and Well, yeah, you heard shooting in your drive. We didn't know what happened until you got out. Yeah. Now you know in the middle of the drive yeah. that, hey, that's one of our guys shot one or he missed it and he came back in. You know what I mean? Um, communication is so key nowadays. You know, mm. Everybody needs communication. But I think you lose aspect of how to read the mountain the old way. When yeah. walking through, looking for a sign, paying attention to where you were, where you want to be next time type of thing. Guys I see coming through, the, they're, on their, they're on their phones or on their GPSs looking so they don't get lost. And I always say, do you guys see any sign? Oh, no. Well, because you're not looking for any. You're not, you know. You're, I'm, you're, I'm guilty of that. You're on, everybody's on there. Well, I mean, I saw when we hunted with you last year on the mountain. I mean, every drive we made, even though we didn't know the area, we went on the, the on a map, X map yeah. and looked on the phone and it's like okay yeah. it lays like this put guys there let's walk there and see what happens yeah, yeah. and it helps oh it does yeah, 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 yeah it does yeah, help. Yeah. you yeah. learn the land yeah it's and cr- knowing the land is the biggest thing and it's great I like think. like robbie you and your brother and your cousin like that was the first time they ever went to that location so yeah. that was huge yeah. i mean uh, you, you felt comfortable you felt a lot more comfortable having that oh yeah yeah and the way i think i'm learning from my dad and and my uncle and everything 
I feel like I'm not on my phone all the time, but I like I walk for a while and then like all right, Mitchell said to stay on this ridge. You'll see this. You'll see this uphill. And I look at my phone. Then I'm like, okay, I'm doing exactly what Mitchell said I needed to do. And then I put my phone away and do it again. I think it's a big help that way. You can still learn prior to the drive and learn after the drive using those apps. But like you said, especially my brother and my two cousins, like I've done it two years now and hearing you and and your dad talk all the time i kind of have some sort of a visual of it but um it is huge to to help out and i think it's and it like it's an advantage to for the hunter to be able to have those resources it is and so when i drove when i set up drives i'd be a driver i knew where everybody was at and it got to a point where somebody could call me in the radio when radios came about and they'll say hey rob i hit a stone wall am i going left or am i crossing it i would know exactly where they're, where they're at. at yeah and i know that stone wall i'd say do not cross the stone wall yeah stay to the left of it you're cutting too hard to the right yeah you know what i mean and i think that as a leader when you set up a, a drive of any sort that guy who says has to know yeah. Be, you know and that's I mean? 100% knowing the lay of the land too right. because Onyx Maps doesn't show where an old farm stone wall is it just shows the topo and right. it shows right. chop offs yeah. like that's right. truly knowing where right it'll show the at. creek bottoms it'll yep. show yeah. right but that little stuff like that hey I hit you know this big rock even the skitter trails big rock it doesn't ledge show those, here, those you know, sort of things am I, you know, am I going the right way I said yeah 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 you know, there should be three guys above you mm-hmm. on that rock ledge, you know. We were talking about radios earlier, and that's a big one. So communication is big. And, I mean, I'm I'm green to the whole leading a group of guys. I'm still learning. That's why I love to listen to you, listen to Mark. Um, you know, my, my dad is somebody who um, he, he doesn't, you know, really – care to do that stuff but my dad is very good at knowing the lay of the land and reading the woods and explaining stuff to people my dad's just kind of he sits back and just says hey you you take care of it it'll be good but like you know i've listened to him in some cases in a lot of cases i should say and um the the communicating and trying to figure that out but um let's talk about radios for a second so radios are huge they're, they're they're crucial but you had a great point that i learned we were talking about this a few weeks ago and i wanted to bring it up um Radios are great, but at the same time, some of us here, and I'll be guilty too, we like to talk. You know, shot rings out and stuff. You had an interesting theory. Like, what when you're a, a captain of a group and everybody's got a radio, like, give me a little bit of your philosophy from the start of the drive to the end of the drive. Like, how do you, how do you want a group to be managed in a way that communication still stays efficient, but it's not just gray noise constantly moving. So I know a lot of our, when, when radios became popular, a lot of our older guys, older than me, mm-hmm. you know, thought, I don't need this. But once they had it, it was nice. And most of them guys, 99% of them were our standers because of their age. So a lot of them would turn it down real low. Mm-hmm. Some of them would ever talk on it unless something came up which i liked my dad god rest his soul he was good with he heard me on a radio he was a stander and i'd be on a captain on a drive and i'd be on the radio going okay everybody to my right if i was in the middle guy everybody to my right whistle or sound off so i know we're in line 
my dad could stand at the end of the drive and say, you sound pretty good. Everybody's, mm -hmm. Everybody sounds like it's coming. My getting back to your question was when I set up a drive, the first morning of the, the drive, we meet, it's dark, you meet at the cabin. A couple things I would do. One first is safety. Every time I got to a drive, I would tell the standers, expect the drive coming this way. We're going to put you where they're coming towards you, all right? Respect your shooting, you know, because I want to keep everybody safe. Second thing was when a shot rang out, nobody talk on that radio until the guy, the person who shot, or the person aside of them, if there's a gap, he can chime in because if he knows what's going on, hey, such and such shot, I don't know if he got it or what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And some of the other things I've told you I did, in our case, a lot of our drivers would get shooting. Mm -hmm. And I know horror stories from camps where the drivers got the shooting, shot at the bear, wounded it, but didn't kill it yet. And when run out to a stander, he's shooting, finish it off, right? Yeah. Well, you got the same drivers all the time because they're at that age or they know the land. Yeah. My theory was whoever drew blood on that bear, we're going after his bear. Mm -hmm. So if Robbie hit the bear in the drive, he was a driver, hit the bear, and it might have been, you know, a little back or, you know, not killing shot, but didn't bring him down. Right. And it goes out to Mark and he finishes it off. It's Robbie's bear. That was one of my things because I know that broke up a lot of camps because even if that bear <laughs> didn't happen to us, but I heard stories where that bear ran out and fell over and the standard shot. So mm. I finished it off. I got it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that to me, when you're hunting as a group, you're a team. You know what I mean? Biggest thing is camaraderie. It's fun. Absolutely. Everybody's taking off work to do it. Yeah. Everybody's doing something they love to do. So let's not make any hard you know hardscape here where people are gonna like you take it only takes a knucklehead to ruin a good group of guys yeah so that was one of my things so the back to the radio thing it was was like i said i came up with if a shot brings out the radio airs or the drive stops and nobody talks on that radio until whoever shot missed it got it mm -hmm. Or they can say, hey, look, I missed. It's still in the drive. Mm -hmm. And then the drivers know what's going on. You know what I mean? And you can kind of keep that drive going successfully and hopefully get it out again. Well, that was a that was a big one that I learned. And I'm going to make sure that this year when we do that group hunt in our overlap deer bear season that I emphasize that before we start today. Hey, look, um, one of the things that we have happen a lot of times is a shot rings out. And right away, they're, you know, guys are excited. They mm -hmm. want to know, hey, who shot? What's happening? I'm yeah. not sure. It might have been so and so. Much. And it just creates a lot of radio chatter. And what that what that causes a problem is not only is it hard for um, the person who shot to communicate. Mm -hmm. um, you're still doing a drive. You're still trying to um, stay in line. You're still trying to keep that drive moving efficiently and safely too. Right. And uh, like that was one I definitely want to make sure. Like guys, if you if you're a standard, like just keep low on, on your talking the, the like even, i don't get this to stand too much and that's by choice most of the time but a lot of the time like you said usually about the captain don't yeah well, <laughs> usually like uh the uh like the radios like when i was when i am a stand a lot of time i shut mine off just because like if i'm waiting for game to come out the last thing i would want to have is a bear or a deer come out to me 
And then, you know, boom, he goes, he hears that. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like toward that end of the drive, I would turn it on or turn it low. But the, those dri- the, the drivers, it's where it's really important for those radios yeah. and keeping in line. Talk, give me a little bit more about keeping in line because chop-offs are hard. I mean, we had drives where 30, 40 yards apart, and it's still hard to see each other. And, like, if you're not taking your time, it doesn't take long until you can get goofed up because all it takes is for Robbie, who's next to me, to get into one nasty section, gets held up for five yeah. minutes, and it can really mess that line yep. up. Uh, it's going to happen. There's no way it's going to go perfect. But in our chop offs being so thick, um, you can kind of see through the where the foliage was in a drop. So I can – we try to keep where I can at least see some orange. Mm-hmm. I can't maybe make out the person's face, but you can see orange to the guy to the right and to the left of you. And like I said, the speed's always the thing. Some guys just walk faster. Some guys are going to have an easier path in the drive mm-hmm. than some other. The guy that you just periodically, we I would stop the drive and say, let's just regroup, make sure mm-hmm. we're still in line. It didn't matter to me that somebody was a little bit ahead or somebody was a little back, as long as I knew where they're at, because I think that also makes the bear weary of what's going on. Like I said, we always did our drives silent. Every now and then, whistle, knock, whatever you do, whatever noise you can make. Some guys would have a crow call yeah, or a turkey call, and then that's, you know, you knew who was who was in line there. And that's how we, we didn't do our yelling. Cause it, uh, just because I thought when you did the yelling part, the game, because I want to see drivers get a possibility at them, but it seems like when you do the yelling part, they know exactly where you're at. Right. You know what I mean? They can hear it coming, and then I think I don't want I don't want the game flying out past the standers. Mm-hmm. I want them kind of milling out, like looking back, like they don't know where to go. Um, so that was some of my philosophy, if that's how you put it, of getting the drives to work. Um, like I said, a lot of it, it's luck because you got no control what that animal's going to do, <laughs> or if it's even going to be in there. You're just banking and rolling the dice. Okay, I scouted this area. It's good crop this year. There's a ton of sign, and you might hit a drive and it's like there's sign in there, but you didn't get nothing out. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they're not in that area. Like I, I always think them bear. A lot of these animals are nocturnal to the point where they go out at night to eat. Mm-hmm. They're going to get up during the day and eat, but they like resting too. They're not going to try, especially bears, they don't want to burn all that energy. That They're taking less energy in eating-wise yeah. if they're burning. That's when they're going to start holding up into their hibernation or your deep sleep, as you call it. Yeah, like the uh, the, the yelling part. So I've been part of a, a, a bunch of groups where we've done that, and there's, there's a couple things that I've kind of picked up on, and I'm kind of theorizing, you know, putting a theory in my mind like some of the drives i've done that we've done yelling it, it was two reasons and i think the first reason would be we don't really know the area that well so it might make it easier but i think the big one is we might be doing bigger of an area than maybe we can handle and mm-hmm. we're, we're stretched too thin and i can think back to um you know the uh the drives that we do um in, in the chop offs we're closer together and I was able to finally experience a bear doing exactly that, cutting out the back and slipping through. And we had had it pretty well buttoned up. And then I think about those drives where we're stretched too thin and we're yelling. And we, we all say, well, the, the bear don't. I, I've been part of those camps where 
they don't they don't cut out the back. They they never do that. And I think we say they never do that because we're stretched too thin and we're, we're not seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've been through drives already that the deer that cut back nine out of ten times it's the buck. Mm. The doe are sneaking out the side or they're getting way out ahead and they're leaving. But them bucks are cutting back through the drivers, and yeah, like they want to stay where they're at too. Yeah, they want to stay in that thick stuff. They don't want to. Because the buck I shot last year, I saw down that valley with three other deer. Mm-hmm. By the time it came to me, it wasn't with them does no more. Them does probably stayed in the chopper, went a different, and that buck was circ- He was getting away from them does and was going to do his own thing. Yeah, he was using his nose, trying to figure out his security, yep. and you were fortunately at the right spot that he just. Right, right. Yeah, it is luck. <laughs> it's well, not it is- the right time. Because when I saw him, he was sniffing the whole time. His nose was in the air, deciding what to do. He heard you guys coming on the drive, mm-hmm. and he probably smelled most of us standers, probably including me. Yeah. He smelled, and he didn't know where he wanted, and he was just sniffing. And he just stood in there like a like a stone, just still sniffing. And he just, but he had broken away from them does, you know. He didn't want to come out, I don't think. I don't think he wanted to leave that chop off. He probably wanted to somehow circle around in there. Where the does went, I don't know. They might have broke away. But I think uh, going through the drive, like I said, all the drives I've done, the radio aspect that came in, um, I would, like, call to the guy aside and, hey, give me a whistle. Let me know where you're at because I would lose Mm -hmm. him because it's thick. Then you whistle, oh, I'm a little ahead of you, okay. Or you're ahead of me, hold up a little bit, let me catch up. You know what I mean? And that's how I would work the drive. And hopefully everybody else, which they caught on, it seemed like, I could hear them on the radio saying, hey, you know, Joe, give me a whistle so I know where you're at. And they could stay in line. Well, like, and you doing, you being a captain in that sense, like when you would set, you take a drive in, you know, somebody is taking that walk, the group of standards in, group of watch, and then you would take a drive in. Did you ever have in your mind, like, uh, maybe it was a case by case basis, or maybe that you had a, a a standard you would try to set. But did you ever find it was easier for you as a captain to be at a certain position in the line of drivers Absolutely. that made that easier? Like, what, what's that like? Because there'd be some drives where I knew we didn't have enough guys would do the whole thing. I'm gonna be the first guy that or the last guy drops off, and I would drop off the standards or the drivers coming in because mm-hmm. I knew. We're gonna go in so far, and you're gonna. I'm gonna be like the pivot man. Yeah. So when we come back down the other side, I went in the left. And I'm gonna come back the left driver. So I could be knowing the land. I would be the guy that be. I drop all the all the guys off the drivers. We drive in so far. I could see the wood line, knowing okay, I'm about 400 yards away. I can bring these guys around. And I'd stand still, and I would talk them through. Mm-hmm. Just keep cutting to your left. Keep that wood line to your right. If you started and you were 40 yards in off that wood line, keep that wood line always 40 yards to your right. Yeah. Right? And a lot of times when you get into drives, you can always say to the guys, okay, keep the sun on your left shoulder. Right? So you're driving. you got new guys. Just keep that sun on your left shoulder. Mm-hmm. Well, you know how it goes in hunting season. It's an overcast day. <laughs> well, there's no sun to work off of. You know what I mean? But if there's a sun and you can use the sun, I used to use the sun as a, a point too. All right, keep the sun on your right shoulder, you know. And you talked about like. Or yep. Or, yep. Yeah. And, and I learned this too, like since I've you know started to take over some drives that we were doing together up there at camp, um, I was, uh, 
I have it in my mind, and, and maybe this is just my guilty conscience. I always felt like I, I was the one that, that created this mess. I got to make sure that I'm going through the worst stuff too. I know how bad it is in some of those cases, and I, I put that on myself. But what I learned is um, I put myself as a driver, and I'm supposed to be leading. I would put myself in a situation where it was actually harder for me to keep tabs on all of the drivers like I would go through and we'd set this up and like the, the, the one drive I'm thinking in particular uh, the drivers start off very close together and then it kind of branches out and I kind of like took the middle like hey we're going to spread out just kind of spread out evenly and we'll figure it out and what I learned is if I'm trying to keep guys in, in, in line for me it's actually harder for me in the middle going through that thick stuff to kind of gauge where everybody's at where I almost feel like well, it might be maybe an easier path for me if I take one of the ends, but I might be able to do a better job mm -hmm. keeping that group of guys in line how they how they do. Yeah, that. and that's that's a great. It's that's how it's going to work sometimes. Some of them drives you're going to be the end guy. Mm. You know what I mean? And then some of them drives everybody work off. So everybody to your left, you tell them drivers just keep working off the guy to your right. Guy to your right or guy to your left. Yeah. 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 And that's true, what you just said. I mean, we try to do that now. We try to put the guy who's going to lead the drive at a spot where he can direct people. So, like yeah. you said, at the end like that, sometimes it's not the hardest walking, but you can direct the people where to go, hold up, slow down. Yep. You know, you're way ahead of guys, you're behind guys, hold up, you hold these guys yep. up, and let the other guys catch up that are down the mountain or in the flat. Or, yeah, because usually the guys down the mountain, they might have the longer walk. Yeah. yeah. So, and a harder walk. Yeah, and a yeah. harder walk. So the guys all to their right have to go a little slower. Yeah. You know, hold oh, up. Oh, absolutely. Hold up. You're getting way too far ahead of them, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I also have this, like, guilty conscience, too. Like, I, I, there's, there's a lot of people that we hunt with in the group never shot a bear. And, and you, you, you have it so bad that you'd love to see somebody mm -hmm. experience that, never shoot a bear. And I always think sometimes, like, if I'm not in the, in the nastiest section, if I'm doing one of those edges or something like that, I might, I might be the, the – lucky turd that shoots another bear i mean i already killed two i mean right. i would gladly shoot a third but i want to see it go to somebody but I, I think that's probably something that i have to get out of my head and make yeah, sure I that in it. order to efficiently do that drive maybe i have to take one of those locations as a leader right. to to try to keep that drive in, in order in working order right. exactly that's how it's going to happen and then like i said you don't have no control over that bear mm. who's going to go out to no you don't but yeah. after a while you're going to have drives where that bear seems all the bear you shot in that drive seem to go to this one particular area. Mm. That's when you get the luxury of putting somebody there. This is the best spot. If we're going to get a bear out and it's going to come out this ridge, you're going to get a crack at it. Yeah, that's you true. You know what I mean? But you don't. do before, too. We do that same thing. We put the best. The guy that we want to shoot the bear is either on, right on the first bench down over or right on the top ridge because that's 90% of our bear shot right like that. So yeah. we try to, like you said, he didn't shoot a bear. Let's put him at that spot. Right. Yeah, and I and doesn't always happen. Doesn't but, always happen. But no. your your odds make, are a lot better. Your odds, yeah, you're making your luck there. And I've learned too, like some of those distinct terrain features you're talking about, whether it's like that that, that first bench down, maybe it's a flat towards the bottom and stuff like that. In order to, you know, we 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 already talked about this earlier, but like in order to 
allow that to be efficient and actually have the bear hopefully use that terrain feature it's so important to have the ends buttoned up because so many times you're talking about the wind you're talking about the thermals like we've had those years where it's like they read the script they come out do exactly on that point the way you want then the next year doesn't work and then you start trailing back and this is kind of where you guys were telling me about the first time when you did it with snow when you saw oh the wind was doing something or the thermal was doing something a little bit different here and it was using that terrain feature the way you wanted and you kind of go you kind of you know hindsight 2020 if we would have buttoned this end up a little bit better maybe they would have taken a better out and you know taken a better avenue to get a shot if that makes sense yeah yeah and you think about the point thing like mark talks about Mm -hmm. darren was on a point he kind of was because he's a point up from me Mm -hmm. i was down below him and it did gradually drop a little bit to his right but to his left, it dropped where I shot that deer. He was up to my right on that point. Yep. That bear. And I, where I was standing that day, you had said on the radio, you kicked up a bear. I'm like, oh, boy, I'm the same way. I'm like, I don't need to shoot another bear, <laughs> right? And I'm hopefully. But then as I stood there and I watched, there was an open area between me and that. And I'm thinking, it ain't going to come out in this open. Yeah. It's going to stay in that thickest part. So I thought, I don't think that bear is going to break out of that chop off, come through the open, go across that dirt road into the next patch of woods. Yeah. It's going to stay in there, and which it did. He you hugged know? The, she hugged the side of the chop off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Real thick stuff just yeah. came sneaking along the edge. So kind of staying with that whole, we, we were t- talking about the, how some of them just hole up. You know, um, I've said this on other podcasts about deer and my experiences with, with whitetails. Like a, a mature whitetail, um, a mature buck, um, for him to get four, five, six years old, they know where they're safe. They've been through the rigmarole, yeah. how many seasons. Um, they know those pockets where they can lay and can skirt around, and, and they, they know the terrain better than we do, and they can hole up. And I don't think a bear is any different in that case. Exactly. And you guys have talked about that, and, and you can maybe even tell the story, because this is the one that really surprised me. Didn't your, your brother shot a bear where you guys were kind of doing a chop-off walking through, and you already did the drive, and – you did it uh, two days later, and then you ended up killing a bear, but it was it was holed up. Like, I, I'm getting the story along. Like, that, that one was an eye-opening for me. Yeah, so we had a chop-off. One of the first years we got started getting bears, we got into a chop-off, and it was nothing but bear sign. Scat everywhere. And well, logs that were rolled over. They rolled them logs over for insects and stuff. It was just bear sign. So we, it was a three-day hunt, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, bear. We shot a bear there Monday. We shot a bear there Tuesday. And we go back Wednesday, and where my brother shot that bear Wednesday, I walked by that spot the previous first two days. Mm-hmm. And what it was was where they stashed, uh, had some logs that they would uh, stage up. Yeah. Right off of that, it, now the chop-off had grown. So the chop-offs we hunt were probably about 8, 10, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. They were like prime, thick, a lot of briars. I missed it. Uh, there was some logs in there. My brother saw this path through the chop-off from the staging area, and it went in about 20, 25 yards, and it was like a trail, right? Almost like we'd have to be on all four to walk on it, but it was a trail, and he just thought, I'm going to walk, crawl in there, and he kind of crawled in there, and here the bear was in, a, in some logs laying in like on a bed. Like he had the logs pushed aside, and it was all grassy, and it was a, like, I don't know, big as a kitchen table. Just to, and she was laying in there. And she probably watched and you guys was, go past the first two days. Yeah, I probably walked by her. 
And then uh, she was 16-year-old Sal. Yeah. Yeah, so 16 years that she's probably yeah. found home, figured out how to do that, and how many times she's... I mean, it, I, I've, I'm finally starting to see that in some cases, how it's amazing you can miss something so minute. Yeah. I was young and inexperienced. Right, right. Knowing now that I see that kind of sign, I'm like, I'm going to check this out. You know what I mean? Wasn't he like 20 yards from her when he shot her or something like that? No, yeah, not even. Yeah, that's crazy. And Mark, you, how many how many different – you've talked about some of the different drives you guys have done over the years, especially with snow, following tracks and just cutting back and, and just making circles around, making an ass out of you. Usually they get to a spot where they can check the wind – Find out where the standards are, and then they try to find a hole between the two drivers, or and sneak back through. I they don't. They just sneak. They don't run. Yeah. They don't bolt. They just. Yeah. I think they just want to stand there and wait till you walk by them, or I think a lot of times they actually just stand there, like you said. Mm-hmm. They just sit there, stand there, and let you walk by them. I think your brother Mike was telling me a story, kind of the same thing too. Is he was a driver and and following the bear track, and like it was, he saw that a couple times where it would kind of. I think the way he described me, he was kind of close to an edge of a ridge, and he was following this bear track, and it kept like making a like a like a J hook, and it would it would stop and sit, kind of like what you're talking about, smelling and yep. turning. I, he, he said he goes, I got too excited, and I, I started going afterwards, and I swear till the end, it, it, it somehow s- snuck around me, and I just find that yeah, it is amazing. I mean, I there was the drives are- already I did that. I'm a driver and a chop off, and it benches down real quick. Even though it's thick, you can kind of see that next quick bench down there, and it benches down. There was times I'd be walking on that ridge, on that little bit of a bench, and it would drop down, I don't know, 15 feet, and there'd be a buck laying there. Mm-hmm. Just and laying there. there. And there's another driver on the other side of that buck on the next ridge where I could throw a football and hit him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that buck just laid there. He wasn't getting up. And a couple times that happened to me in my life where I looked down on that, be- on that drive and you're getting there and you see that the deer head's really low mm-hmm. and he's just waiting. And if you don't go towards him, if I kept walking, he'd lay there the whole time. So he, I got to realize if them big buck are laying there letting you walk by, them bear are doing the same thing. Same. Yeah, there's, uh, there's no doubt about hey. that. Hi, Eva. Yeah, we, uh, you said it best, like, there's a lot of luck involved. I mean, that's, that's hunting. There's a lot of luck involved. But you said this to me before we were, we were talking one time. It was just you and I, Mark, and you were like, I know people say sometimes I, I'm, just, I'm just lucky. But I, I, I'm a full believer that the, the hunters that are the most prepared going into it, luck follows that. And I, you know, both of you guys are sitting here I have a ton of respect for because you guys have done homework for years and, and reading the woods and being a true woodsman. And those kind of, kind of things, they, they just kind of fall into place when it happens right like that. I always said 20% of the hunters shoot 80% of the game. Mm-hmm. Guys just like Mark and I, we just get game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's I, not to sound I, cocky. It's the no, truth. No, it isn't. And I think it's, uh, I put it, I'm humble, I guess, but it's luck. But you make your luck. You gotta get out and do it. You gotta be persistent. You gotta just keep going and learn while you're out there. Learn the woods, mm. the time of year. I don't care if it's turkey hunting, deer hunting, bear hunting. Bear hunting to me is like uh, scouting, finding a sign. You need food. Everything needs food. Turkeys need everything needs food. But bear hunting is just um, find out like last year at your place. You know that. 
all that all that sign up there. Well, you had beach nuts. And yeah, the for one, once. The one drive I got into and I flanked. I was in the chop, out of the chop, and the, when I got out of the chop, it was at that beach. It was nothing but like twelve piles of bear dirt. Yeah, you know the scat. I'm yeah, like, but like two weeks just before them. that, when we were up there, there was nothing there. We couldn't find hardly anything. Just like that, they moved in. They found the food. They yeah. stayed there. Yeah. And it, they was, there. it was later. Yeah. It was later. Favor. Yeah. Well, now it's later. Two weeks later. Now it's getting closer to when they're starting to think, okay, I got to start holding up soon. You know, I, I can't move around as much because I'm burning too much energy. And I got to keep bringing And they get to those beech nut ridges and they just scarf them up like a Hoover vacuum cleaner. Yeah, they were just ripping the whole bench apart. Yeah. They never just moved 20 yards, 20 yards. Eat, move. 20 yeah. yards, just moving. If you guys were going to, if you had to revert back, you know, we, we've talked a lot about group hunting because let's face it, I think a lot of the bears in Pennsylvania get killed in a group hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, more, Even the ones that don't, I mean, the odds, somebody chased it out on a drive and it yeah. ran to somebody else yeah. that wasn't in your drive. And yeah, like I mean, how it happens many, to us all the time where we make drives and somebody's in our drive or somebody shoots one in our drive. Yeah. Well, like, Rob, you've killed three bear in Pennsylvania. Mark, you've killed six. How many of those bear that you killed were you actually a stander versus a driver? Or you were by yourself for three of them, right? Yeah, I mean, I think three of them I shot on my own. Okay. Uh, one is a stander, but I had to walk down a pipeline and up the other side of the pipeline to be a stander for that one. That was like the nobody else wanted to do it. Yeah. It was the end. You did a drive and then became a stander. Yeah, for the last drive of the day and. The other two I scouted out, knew the location where I wanted to hunt, and went in there in the morning and shot them. The other four I could have shot, they were on drives. Yeah, you've right had a bunch them. that you've passed yeah. over the years, yeah, too. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, and you've, you've passed some mm-hmm. over the years and kind of the same thing. Yeah, but. and I, uh, all the ones I shot, I shot one as a stander and two as a driver. And they were the same reason, <laughs> like Mark said, the one I shot as a stander, I had to take – I. Uh, I didn't have enough guys to know where to put the standers, so my cousin said, just take them in. So I took them in. And when we got in to, I set the standers, I even said to the one hunter with us, I said, I'm going to drop off here, go up till you get to the next ridge, you start seeing some pine trees. I said, stop. He said, no, nah, I don't want to go no farther. I said, you sure? I said, I want you up there. He said, no, nah, I'm far enough. I go up. He shot I shot the bear. Yeah. So when that bear came out, was coming through the chop off, it had a, it came down a hill to a creek bottom and back into another chop. So we were between the two chop offs. I could see the bear coming down from the drivers, and I waited to the last possible minute to shoot because I was hoping the guy I dropped off that didn't want to come to this spot would see it and shoot it. <laughs> we never saw it, so I waited. It it just kept coming towards me and. Then, it realized I was standing there, but yeah, 35 yards, I shot it. So I, I preface it that all by, so, you know, a lot of the bear in Pennsylvania get shot on drives, and maybe less now that we've got these earlier seasons, people are, are deer hunting, and you, you, you know. I think it's a lot less now. Yeah, it probably yeah. is a lot less now, but I mean, as a whole, when we're talking about this, and when this episode's airing, we're going to be really close to um, our statewide bear season. Um, so I asked both of you guys this question so if you were hunting if you're going to go back out on your own again you know we've already established that food is going to dictate where you're going to go in the first place um tell me just a little bit about your philosophy or, or how you guys like to hunt if you were going to hunt on your own again and try to kill one would you be kind of on the ground still hunting a little bit or do you guys go with a mindset that maybe i would try to stand hunt some places like give me some philosophies with the places that you hunt 
how you would approach that now? Me, myself, I would go to the best food sport source I have and look, check it out, make sure they're there, find resources, check the, I like to go to points of ridges and benches, first bench, check if there's any sign there. That's what I like to do, and I'll hunt that from a tree stand. From tree stands? Yeah. I would do the same thing, food source and cover. Mm-hmm. And in my particular area, I'd probably get somewhere between two different chop-offs and get between them. Mm-hmm. If, there's fruit, if there's good sign here and good sign on the other chop-off and there's good crop in between them, that's where I'd sit. And, and hopefully catch one going from – and then – Maybe bank on somebody else is going to push something up, but I'm going to be where I think the bear are going to be, even if they're pushed or they're not pushed, and roll my dice. And uh, I always like to check my best sources out. That we shot a lot of bear out. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I'd, I'd go back to where we shot bear. Yeah. Now, some of the areas that we shot bear, those chop-offs are done. They're okay. Too, they're too big, but there's a lot of new ones. Like talk too big as in they're they're too, too old, old to the point where it's not ha- doesn't have yeah. the cover that they they yeah. once had. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed in our conversation the whole time, and I'm thinking about this from the standpoint of being somebody on your own, um, you know, close to thick cover is is huge. But you know when you when I, when I go through some of them chop offs, like there's places where you can't get through unless you're on your hands and knees. And it's really hard to set up on that. But one thing I've noticed in wh- whether we're talking about a, a driver that holds back during a drive or somebody that's flanking, you can find little pockets, like a, a little pocket in, lo- in the opening of the laurel. Or uh, you, you, ta- you just talked about being in between two chop-offs. You might have a little pocket that there's an opening. And all game are created equal in the sense that they kind of like to favor an edge. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like those, as long as you're really close to that adjacent cover, you're in the game if you've got all the other stuff stacked in line. Like waiting for that, just hopefully one open. And tree stand's a huge advantage. Oh, obviously. yeah. yeah. Like we were talking. even said, even a trail or a logging road or yeah. something where they're going to come out and just give you an access to shoot at. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean. It's no good sitting in somewhere where you cannot shoot. So. Exactly. And yeah. I mean. Trails in within a chop skitter trails and stuff like that stuff where yeah. stuff intersects and then you can find yeah. maybe within that section there's there's points or stuff it's yeah. something that just creates edge to one point natural funnel yeah yeah, yeah. it's hard to it's and hard to find you get in them skitter trails or you get between that laurel then bears come out. they like the path of least resistance as yep. well as yeah. everything else does so and there's going to be sign of them there either tracks or scat and that's where I would set up thinking. I let him do his natural thing, and he's gonna. If he's in there, he's gonna come out. Or if he's not, he's gonna want to come in. Yeah. And, and the other thing you can do is find out friends who know where bear are. Yeah. Everybody's out camping. Everybody's out hiking. Everybody's out bike riding. Everybody's out archery hunting. You talk to your friends. Hey, yeah. they have bear at their camp. Are uh, they seeing bear? Or are they DC and our guys? Yeah, DC and mm. They'll tell you where they're seeing them. Yeah. They do. That's I mean, true. most of them guys don't care. Yeah, they don't care. They just want them. And they said, "Yeah, you know, where are you seeing stuff? I'm seeing them down here." Hmm. You know, all related to food, obviously, yeah. but it just makes you just puts it when when you're thinking about it from the standpoint of let's just say 20 square miles. Just it's hard to narrow down where the heck you want to hunt it. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of you said it earlier, like 20 percent of guys shoot 80 percent of the game, and that's probably very very accurate. Um, you know, people who just go out and hope. You know, it, it's but but if doing all those those things you just talked about homework, that's big. But uh, man, I'm. Uh, I'm at the point now where we just got to figure out how we can get Robbie a bear. Yep. Yeah. 
No, a lot, of, a lot of people would tell you to sit next to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, guys, this has been fun. Anything else? Anything else we want to close out on this one? So now this year is going to be a little rougher because of the gypsy moths that were in certain spots. Yeah, and Chopper had brought that up, and one of the things uh, we didn't get to talk. Chopper had to cut out of here, but the DCNR has the the has, map. Has the map? Yeah, where they sprayed. So yeah, you can check I, them areas out. I, I don't even know where that is, um, but you can probably find it on DCNR's website. Pretty, easy. I've used that DCNR website a lot just for chop offs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Onyx or or any kind of mapping system has a lot of that detailed information right in there, and you can see the age of a chop off and stuff like that. But the DCNR website, I've used that a ton, um, just just trying to get the age of chop offs and stuff like that. And now they have it with these these areas. So I mean, talk about just a way to to scout. It's um, so much nicer because back in our time, well, back in my time, <laughs> I used to go in, when the computer came about, I'd go on the computer and go in the DCNR and then print out the map of where they chopped. Mm-hmm. Nowadays on the phone, it tells you the year it's chopped, you know, and how it's shaped. We used to have to guess yeah. how it was shaped by walking around. And we sit at the cabin, like debating. I think it's shaped like a boot. I don't think it's shaped like a boot. I think it's shaped nice and I, you know. <laughs> and we still do it at your camp. We look mm-hmm. at the map. We look at the map. Yeah, and on the terrain and the gullies and the valleys and whatever we want to call them up there. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Hillsides, ridges. One, one thing I'd like to do, I'm, I'm hopeful I, I take the time and actually do it. I'd like to try to print out some large maps that I can roll out on the table at camp or roll out on the tailgate of a truck mm-hmm. because you know right now we work on the phones and that works but when you're looking at three by five screen and you're trying to show 20 yeah. guys this is what we're going to do like it just be so Some much of us easier need glasses yeah too. <laughs> <laughs> that's my son my son knows it we do it every year we, we sit we open the big maps and decide okay there's food here there's no food here there's sign here this guy's talking about in this location and then we break it down okay let's congregate focus on this area we move to that area. Okay, let's put guys in strategic points and say, all right, you hunt this area, we'll hunt that area. And we try to break it down and narrow down the points where they're going to be. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that. But one of the things that's probably like I've started bear, a lot of the bear hunts that I go on from the from the first break of daylight, we're starting drives. You guys don't always do that anymore. Sometimes you're breaking up and kind of pot hunting and feeling it out and then congregate. That was new to me. Yeah, like the last probably five, six years we do that. We break down in six guys, five, six guys, and take the truck. You guys go to this side of the mountain, check it out. You go to the other side of the river, check it out. You go up here, check it out. Mm-hmm. Find some signs, see if anything's happening, what's going on. Because not all them guys get out to do the scouting like we do. Right. So if you get a couple guys like Chopper who says, yeah, well, I know where I'm going. Because he did his homework. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to take all 24 guides with you, so you let them venture out and do a little of their homework too. So, But that's such a great idea. And, like, if you've – if in, in the case of you've got the right camp, like if you're going somewhere that you don't have 95% of the guys don't know, you're kind of, well, this is just the way it's going to be and this is the way we're going to do it. But I like that with uh, the setups that you guys have had where you've got a couple people who know the area a little bit better. It just makes it easier to, to, to make those decisions and, and – hunt before you make those pushes right up in our area too backtrack into the initial things a lot of camps ain't 25 members anymore no yeah right those big camps that had 25 they're kind of like going by the wayside so years ago we'd have one group that was up near us that was our competition mm-hmm. and they were a bunch of local guys mm-hmm. 
had 25 guys. So we'd have to decide, okay, we think they're going to go there. We're going to go here. Because yeah, you get there and they're set they're up. They're there. It's like, yeah. all right, I got to take everybody. Now we lost an hour of time. Just yep, to... exactly. Um, That's part of the things when you're dealing with hunting public land. It's it going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. I think now with the season being muzzleloader archery, you have a lot more yeah. time spread out. Out, spread out. There's not near as many rifle hunters out there and gangs like there used to be. No, I don't think the gang part is it, it, going by the wayside. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, there's still some good. There's still some good gangs, and I mean, there's there's a couple gangs that I can think of where we hunt that when yeah. they're there, you know, there's bear there right. too because yeah. they did their homework. Well, and now it's us. You know yeah. what I mean? And now it's we right. were there. People knew. Okay, they must be hunting here because there's bear here. Yeah, because right. they would know my truck. Yeah. Right. I had the same truck for yeah. 10, 12 years. <laughs> Eventually, everybody's going to know it, right? Yeah. And they see my truck, and the locals would say, yeah, I knew you were scouting for bear. I knew there was something in there because you were in there because yeah. they see my truck. But um, when you look at your camp, it's three camps getting together to mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, it's not like it once was out of one camp, too. Right. But, I mean, we're, we're, we, we try to make it work the best we can. Um, you know, and another thing, too, that we we didn't discuss, and I've always had this philosophy, you guys kind of are, too, like, I'm not afraid that if we get in there and there's a group of guys over there, I just back out and go somewhere yeah, else. It's yeah, not worth going through that no, aggravation. No, uh-uh. There's there's so much ground. I mean, I was looking the other day. There's literally closer to 3 million acres of public land in Pennsylvania than there is two. Yeah. And, like, when you've got that amount, it's just not worth going through that aggravation. No. When you've got three days of hunting to right, enjoy right. a bear season. It's more now, but yeah. it, it's not worth just go out and have fun. Right. And that's what I said. Last year, you got a good thing going you do that with that's fun. That's that how it, fun. that's, that's how it should it. be. Yeah. And then my like philosophy always was say, you know what I like about it right now? It's cause we got this. We got a bear, we got a deer. Exactly. It's no more I this, I that. When it starts getting to that, you then, gotta do something different. Yeah, then I'm walking away. But as long as it stays like, yeah, you come back to home and how'd you make out? Yeah, we got a bear, we got a buck and a bear, we got you know. That's how it should be. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um you know, I've, I've heard those. You, you talked about horror stories in camps. I've had the horror stories. I've experienced them, and I've heard about them where you've got a group of guys that they've hunted the ground so much, and they're, you know, there's arguing about who's going to sit where. Mm-hmm. Um, that takes the fun out of it for me right away. And, you know, you talked about shooting a bear when you're group hunting. I've had the same philosophy, too. Whoever put the first killing shot on it, that's it's our bear, but it, that, it should be theirs. Yeah. You know, I've... Uh, I'll never forget one time I was doing a drive with a group of guys. We we used to do, uh, and we still do in some cases, but we might do two drives in one. We'll we'll pick the first leg of standers up, and then we'll continue on to a second leg of standers. So those those first too. yeah those first group of watchers then become drivers. Yeah. And I'll never forget we did a drive. Um, we we finished the first drive. We were starting to congregate and try to figure out how to uh, just get started on the next one. And the bottom guy started to work his way out to flank the drive because we had more guys and it made more sense for him to kind of be a sneaker on the bottom. And as he was walking out around, there was a bear coming towards him on his own. It wasn't chased. It was just walked out. And he, uh, he put a shot on it, put a killing shot on it. His gun jammed. Couldn't get a second shot off. And uh, the, the angle that the bear was facing him um, – it, it kind of lodged in its shoulder. The bullet, we didn't get a good blood trail. There was almost no blood. We were having a hard time seeing the leaves kicked up. It was really windy that day. Um, just made it really, really difficult. And as we went through, um, one of the guys who was walking on that drive finished the bear off, and he'd never shot a bear before. It was 30 years of hunting, he never shot a bear. And he got up, and he just put his tag on it. 
And uh, like, fortunately, it didn't cause any issues. It didn't cause any uh, problems and arguments in camp, but it left a bitter taste with a lot of people just because of the way that was handled because we thought this should have been guy number one. And regardless, I mean, I think you got to – when you're hunting with a group of guys, I mean, it's a different atmosphere, and you got to establish that up front. And you talk about communication. That is huge. huge. Communication is huge, whether you're talking about doing the drives or setting the groundwork or how hunting with that group is going to be. Yeah. Like I said, I would always set that first thing first morning we got together. Here are the rules. Yeah. And we did it two years ago with you, remember? Because mm-hmm. when we got there, they knew there was a mom and cub in that area. So we thought, no, if somebody sees a mom and cub, let's not shoot them if we don't have to. Right. A guy that already that never shot a bear, yeah, let them shoot it. But somebody that shot a bear already, you don't have to shoot a mom right. and cubs. And that's what we decided before we even started that drive. Exactly. Like setting those things up front because it, it creates, because it's amazing, like, how you can hunting is so egotistical let's face it it is an egotistical thing it's fun we love to do it mm-hmm. there's an ego with it and and it's amazing how something so stupid can break people up with that and it ain't oh, worth yeah. it no yeah exactly. it allows it, yeah it ain't worth it but well i am looking forward to it like i said i've been deer hunting a little bit here i'm anxious to do a little bit more deer hunting as uh, we're getting through the rut um but I've said it before, I say again, one of my favorite hunts that we do each year is that group hunt we do up at my camp, and I'm looking forward to, to it again. So um, hopefully between uh, between the, the, the group of guys here and some of the other guys that are part of that, we can uh, do our homework and have a good hunt just the same. Yep. But, uh, boys, thanks a lot for uh, for doing this with us. This is, this is a great time. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yep.